0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Lock Talk Radio.
3: Sunday, September 30th, 2013. You're checking in with your smoking nephew, blazing rye, and the ones and twos. And I'm joined by my lovely co-host, the Vanna, to my stage act, the one and only Broadway <laughs> medic, Miss Tamika Kidd. Tamika, how are you? All
4: right.
3: How are you doing, sir? I'm doing all right. Uh, so if you want to uh, listen to the program live tonight, you can do it on the, on the internet, on the computer, on your cell phones, on your iPads. Or you can dial the call-in number and listen to it that way. See, we had a caller just dropped off. Want to get her back on. 917-388-4131 if you care to listen that way. And if you want to say something to us, just press the number one. We do not bite. Uh, Tamika, tell me me about your weekend. What did you do?
4: Wow, that's a loaded question. Well, I went and got. Uh, <laughs> you want the you want the real story, or you want the one that I'm going with? I should say that.
3: Uh, what the world is yours.
4: Well, the world's mine. No, look. Uh, out here in New York, it's been a little bit special. We just found out that MTA had a surplus, so even though we got charged more, the uh, we're still having to deal with extra costs. Um, And Beyond that You know what Anything else I say Will be incriminating I'm sorry I gotta stop (laughs) I'm sorry Ryan I
3: gotta stop What What did you do This weekend
4: Well It was a lot Because everybody Got paid on Friday And then Oh I see I ended up On the lower east side And then some stuff Happened And I can't say No more
3: (laughs) Okay Well that's fair enough Uh You don't want to get paid on a Friday and end up on the Lower East Side. I do that every Friday. It is never a good idea. No.
4: It's just just different. It's special and different, and it
1: causes a problem at some point.
3: So I woke up yesterday to uh, everything was going fine uh, internet-wise, and I had a friend in from out of town. (laughs) And then about 9.30 a.m. yesterday, uh, (laughs) shit hit the fan, (laughs) <laughs> and do you know how my dealings with Time Warner Table yesterday made me feel?
4: Yeah, a certain way,
3: you know.
5: Mm-hmm. When you just don't know what you're feeling, you can't find the right words to say. Well, that's the moment you start to.
3: Do you remember remember the old Certain Way theme song, or do you only know that one? Well,
4: if I can mention her name, can I mention her name? Yes. Kate Doyle, I've only heard that version.
3: Interesting, because that is not Kate Doyle. That's Erica Lustig, though they do sound similar sometimes.
4: Okay. I think Kate Doyle was a little more um, enthusiastic about... uh, feeling a certain way, but that's okay. If you hear this case, please don't kill me. I
3: love you. <laughs> well, the initial one was actually by my pal Jonathan Damar, and it was um, both are amazing versions. But I, I still have his in my head. So it's been like two years now, and I can't get Erica's into my head. I still have Demar's in my head, but we got a new theme now. Uh, so I'm still working on it. But that riff at the end is sick. And, yeah, Kate don't kill Tamika and Lustig don't kill me. Moving on. (laughs) Time Warner made me feel a certain way yesterday. So yesterday, Tamika, I woke up. I began to watch the new terrible Mike O'Malley show on my Roku player on the Hulu Plus. Uh, It's something Mm -hmm. about Carlos from Desperate Housewives' son knocks up O'Malley's daughter. Anyway, all of a sudden, the video paused. I said, oh, (laughs) shit. So the Internet was out. I waited on the phone with Time Warner Cable for a long time. Despite Mm -hmm. their valiant efforts, no one was able to fix the Internet. I began to then tweet them out, Amanda Bynes style. And you know what? They responded by (laughs) saying they weren't showing my modem online and that they could get a tech out here Friday. I said, absolutely not. Because when I book appointments with them, they don't show up. That's happened not once, but twice. I asked them to send someone out immediately. They said, unfortunately, we don't have same-day turnaround, to which I replied, I don't have five-day turnaround. I then asked if replacing the modem would fix it. You know, I go into Time Warner exchange the modem. They said that was likely, but be advised, we are closed today. I said, you've got to be kidding me. So then I go to Best Buy in Brooklyn to buy a new modem. I decided to cut off my, in Brooklyn, you know, the, the Best Buy near me, uh, off yeah. the uh, Barclays Center stop, and I decided right. to cut off my ties with paying fees for the Time Warner modem every month. Uh, meanwhile, my friend from out of town, Diana, she'd been staying with me, and she, when she got back to the crib, she had no cell service and couldn't connect to the internet, So, and she needed to book a car to get to her flight. Uh, so then, I'm at Marshalls, and I'm buying a wallet that when I opened it last night, it said it causes cancer. You know those signs in California that say is it made of material that causes cancer? Yeah.
4: Well, we don't
6: know.
3: Yeah, yeah. okay. So I got one of them, sh- sh- you know, shit wallets. Um, I, I rushed back <laughs> to the apartment, um, and uh, I, I opened the modem instructions, which say, and luckily Diane and I, we figured out, a, a you know, I, I wound up calling car service for her, and it, it was fine. Um, and then she figured it out herself. But I opened the modem instructions, which say I need to contact time warner cable again so keep in mind i'm getting the modem so i don't have to deal with time warner and the modem the first thing it says you have to call time warner to give them your mac number and this was an ordeal i called them tamika to, to give them one number a phone call that should have been five minutes was an hour and six minutes long and of course i was on the line with tech level one first and they eventually had to transfer me to level three and when tech level three answered Actually, it was a jolly guy who said, hey, this is Freddie. Is this Mr. Holmes? And you know what, Tamika? It was so refreshing to hear a friendly voice with that company that I almost didn't care. I had spent my entire Sunday dealing with Time Warner Cable. And after a few tries, we got the Internet to work. I also vented to him a bit, and he said he had worked there for about two years but had been a customer for 19 so we said he sympathized with my issues with the company, which is more than those bastards usually do. Uh, later in the evening, um, we had actually had to move the router so that my roommate could connect uh, because the room is too far from the kitchen where I had plugged the router in. Um, to try I'm and get in it touch to work with again. that.
4: And I'm in touch with that emotion. I understand that.
3: Okay. Okay, good. And the Wi-Fi uh, didn't reach to his room. So let me find out. I'm sitting right. there trying to watch SVU on Hulu Plus. <laughs> And then it pauses. I got Marissa Hargate is still trapped by that hostage, with the hostage situation, the kidnapper who's just, you know, so then she's about to, like, knock the guy over the head and pause. So let me find out. I'm trying to watch SDU and the Internet crashed out again, and I was yelling in my room, you've got to be fucking kidding me out loud. I walk out, and I realize this because the router was moved. At that point, I understand it. I understood that it needed to be moved, but I was like in shock that I would probably have to spend more time on the line with Time Warner. So, these issues yesterday began at a, at 9 a.m. and I thought they yes, ended they at did. 4:39 p.m. So, 9 yes. a.m. to 4:39 p.m. That's enough. That's your whole Sunday right there. So, to come back right. to this shit at 11 made me feel a certain way. But between some actions <laughs> I remembered and what the lady told me, we got the internet back up. But my entire Sunday revolved around Time Warner. I spend more time time fixing the Internet than I do browsing it or using it to work on my future. And let me find out they had the nerve to suggest some package where I pay $10 more each month. And I said said to the lady, Time Warner has made my life a living hell for five years now, so I have no desire to give this company any more money. She said, I completely understand. That is not something you should certainly understand, Tamika. If you work for a company that makes people's lives live in hell, that's not an appropriate response. So the whole shit yesterday made me feel a certain way. You're burning up
4: my ears, man. You're
3: killing me with this. I understand.
4: (laughs) You sympathize
3: with me, you say.
4: I sympathize and I understand, but I just want to say this, and I know you're probably going to yell at me for this because we just got Time Warner in this apartment. And I was on the phone for about an hour and a half trying to add show time so I could get a particular show, and they were mm-hmm. very helpful. However, the Internet thing is still special because the router is not near me, but I know with my technical savvy to get a booster. So that's what I yeah. was going to suggest to you until you just went off, but I understand why you went off because they. They might even cut us off, so I understand.
1: <laughs>
3: well, there's a I whole understand. setup where there's actually, there's not a booster, but there's an airport, and there's a thing that needs to be plugged in, and the one wire doesn't reach all the way. So it makes sense that it needed to be moved, but I just didn't put it together that it, it would have to later. Uh, but in terms of, you know, it taking an hour and a half to get show time, to me that seems like a ridiculous amount of time, No.
4: Yes, but I put them on speaker, and I went and peed and, you know, made
6: some <laughs>
4: uh, grilled cheese sandwich and waited till I got an actual person that English was their first language. So, you know, I I, I did all that, but unfortunately, you know, we're they're doing their best, but they're also doing some of their worst. That's the best thing I can say at this point because I know <laughs> I don't I don't want to bad Malcolm because I might end up working for them again soon. So Time Warner, yes, they sometimes can suck ass, but also the, sometimes they can suck really good. So it's okay. <laughs> well, I did mean, you if work you know for them what I'm before?
6: To,
4: yes, at Warner Brothers.
6: Yes, Time yes, Warner yes, of okay. Warner
4: Brothers, all that stuff. So, but beyond that like I said, sometimes I can suck out, and sometimes it can suck really good and you just, you know, you never know. But obviously when you need it, it's never there and that's probably because they're overloaded by the abundance of other people like you and I that need them to fix something and they just can't do it. I can't imagine how many people ordered uh, cable for you know, Breaking Bad or Homeland for myself or anything else. So I just you know, I, I'm I'm trying to look at this as diplomatically as possible.
3: Yes, this Breaking Bad, Shamali, was last night. Did you happen to watch it? And
0: no.
4: You know what? I'm not one. I'm not of that uh, tribe just yet, we'll say. Uh-huh. I'm the homeland yeah. person, so I'm Carrie. I'm the crazy Carrie. The Breaking Bad, I understand. But uh, I will try and watch it from the beginning because I think another channel is going to be airing the episodes from the beginning starting on Monday till the end. Oh, okay. But I didn't see Breaking Bad. Did you see it?
3: No, I I did not. I haven't seen one episode. And a good friend of the program, Jordan Ferber, last night, he wrote on his Facebook, Well, I had never seen an episode of Breaking Bad, but after being on Facebook for two minutes, it looked like I never need to. So there was spoilers galore. Well,
6: yeah,
4: from what I've understood, it's, and it's funny because I'm going to be, you and I are some of the few people that haven't seen Breaking Bad. From what I've understood about the show, it's the butterfly effect. So if this <laughs> happens, this happens, this happens. And that's fine. I'd be, I'd be more than willing to watch it. But right now, I'm all about the... Homeland, sorry, I can't do, I can only do so much, because I was all about the wire at some point, and that ended, so I can't, you know, and and the fact that our, if I can mention this, the fact that our, I don't want to say it like that, that our government is getting ready to shut down in three hours, 46 minutes, and 23 seconds, that has my priority right now.
3: All right, making you feel a certain way. Well, let's guess, get off of the right. negative, and let's turn to our first guest tonight. Um, our first guest new album, Box of Me, can now be heard on Pandora and Spotify. Please welcome a very talented young woman who has returned to the music business with a vengeance, Alice Bryce Guy. <laughs> yes! Yeah. Good,
0: hello. good
3: evening, Alice. How are you?
0: Hi. I'm good. That was that was quite an a uh, an opening. <laughs> uh, a lot
3: of people come over to my house every week, and they they you know I don't know why they they cheer me. They cheer me on when you know, but it's always with the guests, so I don't know what they're doing. But you're on the air with me and uh, the one and only Broadway medic Mika Kit. Uh, so hello, uh, Alice. Hi. Radio Cowboy says about your music, the balance and volume between the vocals and the instruments are the best I've heard to date. Can we put this down on record as the weirdest compliment ever?
0: (laughs) You know, um, no, I've gotten way weirder compliments than that.
3: Oh, yeah? Like what?
0: (laughs) Um, Then I, I toggled between ecstasy and being unhinged.
6: Don't
0: oh we all do weird. that? Yeah. Well, wait a minute. do we all do that at some point? Right? Yeah. I mean, I yeah, I think so. But I think the uh, the word choices are just the, you know, it's one of the more interesting, I guess, compliments mm-hmm. I've gotten. Um, saying that you like the balance of instruments to vocals. That's a typical. He's probably got some engineering background, and you know, he's probably in the music biz a little bit. It's a very sort of industry kind of thing to say. So it's not that weird to me.
3: Right. And uh, BeatCrate.com said it wasn't until you went solo that you found the core of your sound. Why do you think yeah. that is?
0: Yeah, I think it's, um, it's basically because when you play in a band, you have so much other stuff to keep the interest of the audience that you can get kind of lazy. And I see it all the time. I see, um, you know, I was, and I've experienced it because I've been in the scenarios where I'm in a band and And I'm not challenging myself as much because I know that there's other interesting stuff going on, so I don't need to. You know, you can kind of write songs quickly, put down, you know, um, some interesting, uh, you know, instrumentation, and it doesn't, the the song itself doesn't have to really stand on its own. So I find that when you play solo, um, and it's just you and a guitar, you and your instrument, whatever that is, it really forces you to be... um, you know, to have really proper and good song structure, or something that's at least going to engage your audience, because you don't have the bells and whistles, you know, you don't have all that other stuff going on in the background that can kind of distract people from the poor song structure or from you know not so coherent lyrics or interesting lyrics or you know it's a crutch if you will.
3: I see, and you had uh, been in the music business for a bit, and then uh, in 2009 you were working on an album, and uh, it kind of uh, fell apart a little bit, and then you you recently rekindled your passion at an open mic night somewhere. Explain this this moment to us, and how this one open mic night inspired you to get back at it. Uh, where were you, and why were we not invited?
0: <laughs> well, no, pain. yeah, no, I'm sorry for that. The invitation got lost in the mail. Um okay. Yeah, I was in, <laughs> I was in Stamford, Connecticut, and oh, yeah, that's got, my home state. Oh, oh man, I love the up there. So now
3: you really gotta tell us what's what's
0: going on. <laughs> when you were in
3: Stanford, did you go to the Colony Pizza
0: restaurant by any chance? I did not. Oh what you about mean, John the, the Baker. Oh, <laughs> who the who the baker? John the baker. John the baker. Wow, yeah. and is there a candlestick maker there as well?
3: <laughs> See? Here we
0: go. Here we go. It's
3: only Monday. Okay, so <laughs> so you're in you're in Stanford, what happened?
0: Um yeah so I, I hadn't played out in a in a while in a really long time. The album kind of fell apart in two thousand and nine because i I couldn't finish this one song and I just it just unraveled so I stepped away from it and i my um my husband and I had moved up to Westchester New York, and I'd been in New York City for many many years and kind up here though it's beautiful and great landscape and it's exactly where we want to be. It's a little isolating when it comes to getting out and playing right not not a lot going sure. on in the music scene but Half an hour from here is Stanford. I have some friends that live there, and they um, mentioned this open mic that was going on at a bar near um, where they live. So I thought, oh, well, that'd be great. I'd love. It. It, it, there's no pressure. You just kind of get up and play your music to a bunch of strangers. And you know, if you're if you know if you fall on your face, you fall on your face, and nobody cares. So I went this one night, really kind of nervous, um, only because I hadn't really played in, in, in a couple of years, at least. And I got up on their little stage and started playing my music to a crowd full of 20 to 30-somethings who, you know, couldn't be less interested in what was going on in terms of the open mic. You know, were really there to kind of just party and hang out and play pool and, Mm -hmm. you know, hang at the bar. And I played one of what I consider, you know, one of the signature tracks on the album, which is I Am. It's the hardest-hitting song and um, kind of has a real rock element to it. And Almost immediately the bar kind of silenced, and it was very cinematic for me. And I, I may be really exaggerating this in my mind, but to me it felt like everybody just sort of stopped and listened. And in a crowded, loud, young bar, I found that that's, that's a really amazing thing when, when when folks who have come out hell-bent on partying and being loud will stop and actually listen and pay attention to what you're doing and then other musicians joined in sort of halfway through the tune i had people playing drums and everybody was kind of clapping along and it felt almost like they knew this song um had always known it and were you know were singing along with me so it was a really inspiring moment that reminded me that what i'm doing is good i'm a good performer my music's good and i really shouldn't um take such a long hiatus from this um from the music again
3: what an important moment! Do you think that had you not gone out that night, do you think that something else would have happened to trigger you to get back uh, to, the, to singing again, or, or yeah. do you think that,
0: okay. Well, you know, I, I guess yes, and I, I think for sure it's it's a part of me. It's never going to go away entirely. But you know, as hmm. someone who's play, and, and I, I know so many talented people and so many talented musicians in New York, and it's um. You know it's exhausting uh performing and and sort of promoting yourself and most musicians I know take you know the their sort of love affair with the the sort of performance part of it is it ebbs and flows you know throughout your life depending on what degree of success you're experiencing or what kind of you know obstacles you're encountering and other parts of your of your music pursuit so I think it's very natural to sort of step away especially i look i'm thirty eight I'm not twenty. If I were 20, I'd probably be out there playing, and <laughs> <laughs> I was, you know, when I was 20, I was doing that. Um, but you have to kind of recharge, you know, and I think that's what I did, and I needed a reminder of how much fun it is to perform, and even just have an open mic, which is, you know, it's nothing. I didn't have to book it. I didn't have to promote it. I walked into a room full of people, and I just started playing. Um, but that's really what it's all about. It's about just, you know, sharing your music with whomever is willing to listen and realizing that there are quite a lot of people that are willing to listen, and you know, that's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. and you
3: mentioned that the song you were doing uh, during this uh, open mic night was I Am. I want to play it for our listeners. Uh, you say that um, you're someone a lot of people lean on a lot, and I can relate yeah. to that, and uh, you admit, I, too, need to fall apart sometimes. And I think that's a really great quote. Tell me, tell, tell us before we play what the song's about and why you feel the need to fall apart.
0: Yeah, I, well, yeah, I I wrote that song and I wrote the whole album um, uh, during a time when I was really conflicted about a relationship. And so the the, the album kind of takes you on a journey through this, this period of my life where um, I know that I'm in the wrong relationship and I kind of need to get out of it, but I'm battling with you know, whether or not I'm strong enough to do it and you know, being at a certain age for a woman I was in my mid thirties and you kinda of just want to say, Oh, I'm I'm done already, can't we just be done? Um <laughs> you know I'm oh, sure listening that I can understand. relate, you know? I understand. And, yeah, and then you know this little voice inside you is just like you can't you can't settle, you can't do this to yourself and so you know, these are all the, the emotions that you experience and this particular song is about is about that and it's also just about you know it's a, more of a macro statement about me that um you know am i strong enough to do it i think everybody thinks I'm, I'm i'm stronger than i am i'm going through a particularly weak period right now and will people sort of understand if i fall apart you know if i if i can't do this strong thing that i really need to do
3: all right well this is Alice Bright's guy with i am we'll be right back with Alice. I know Tamika is uh, chomping at the bit with some questions over there. So we'll be right back. I am. Here we go. They
5: say the best things in life are. Everything I-
3: God for us over there. Well,
4: I, I love that song, but I also had a question about a different song you're not playing just yet, uh, "Lover's Fate." Yeah. So, but that one really spoke to me, especially being women of a certain age. We'll call it in quotation. <laughs> "lover, lover's fate." I mean, you. It's not it like you, you know, guys can do it all the time, but as a woman. You're not promiscuous. You just have these different lovers that come into your life and out of your Mm -hmm. life. But what is, I I guess I could say, what is the genesis of that particular song? Because that's the one that spoke to me most.
0: Ah, yeah. Well, thank you, first of all. Um, Yeah, that's that's a favorite of mine too. And um, again, you know, kind of talking about this theme of the album because you know it, it was all written. In a period where where I was struggling with the concept of, you know, relationships and finding the right person Mm -hmm. and, you know, being in a relationship that I knew I had to leave, this song is, um, you know, specifically about that relationship that I was in at the time and saying, um, you know, I I, I don't want you back, but I do, you know, I'm in this, I'm in, again, in this sort of weak state where um you know the the voice on my shoulder is kind of playing with my head again and saying just go back and make it easy. You know, life can be easy. Like just go go back and um you know, go back to easy because you know that the way ahead is going to be it's going to be incredibly hard, albeit very rewarding at the end of that, you know, long hard road, but really kind of battling with the here versus um the future knowing that the future would be brighter if I didn't go back but I really, um, am I strong enough to to make that decision? Um, So, yeah, lover's fate is just kind of contemplating that conflict that I think everybody goes through when you leave somebody um, that you've been with for a long time, knowing that it's not the right thing. And it can be really bad, too. It's just a horrible relationship. (laughs) It's not like it was a great, you know, it it had its moments, of course, but um, that's what's so confusing about it. You know, it's what's so confusing, I think, about um, love or infatuation or what you think is love at the time, you know, it's just it's absolutely like this mess of chemicals in your brain that you know, it just really does a number on you and I'm just sort of talking about that, like that that horrible conflict of I don't want him back, but I do. Mm-hmm. I and understand on that, that completely... Particular-
4: <laughs> I, I, I'm sad to say. Sorry, Ryan. Didn't mean to cut you off.
6: Uh, no problem.
4: Woman speak. Woman speaking my language right now. I understand that completely. So that's why I connected with the music right oh, off the bat. But thank you. But I understand. But uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, but God bless you. You know, keep, keep moving uh, forward as we always try and do. Yes.
3: The this song that Tamika mentioned, "Lover's Fate," is um, Lana Del Rey is on it. Uh, how did yeah. that collaboration come about?
0: So I was in a song contest, a songwriting contest, back in 2006 called the Williamsburg Live Songwriting Contest, and I was in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And um, and Lana, who who was known to me then as Lizzie um, Lizzie Grant, she was a contestant in that contest, and we both made the finals. Um, I placed in it. She was um, one of the finalists, and we became sort of fast friends in this contest. I loved her music. She loved mine. And um, and we were doing some recording with the with the person I ended up doing the whole album with as a producer, Paula De Gregorio. So um, I had been in the studio recording "Lover's Fate" um, with Paolo, and I had um, written that the backup part that's on the album. But I really didn't like I didn't like the quality of my vocals on it. It was just too I I wanted something different than my um, my textured the texture of my voice on the background and I thought, Wow, this would be great for Lizzie. You know, she's got a very ethereal sounding voice. She can just it's almost like this falsetto that she hits um in some of her um in some of her songs. So I thought that would be a great quality. So I asked her to come in and, and sing the backup and she did and we had, you know, one one rehearsal I think and um and she sang the background um, you know, beautifully and I, I think it really adds a nice component to the song and really kinda lifts Um, lifts the melody up.
3: And now have you spoken to your pal Lana lately because she seems (laughs) to be going through a real seasonal depression, like a real summertime (laughs) sadness right now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Life's hard for Lana. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's a great song. But, um, no, you know, I, I lost touch with her. Somewhere around 2009, right about the time That I kind of walked away from the music We had had a couple of um, You know, back and forths, I guess uh, I left. We'd had a, a phone conversation And um, I, we saw each other at a, at a Friend's wedding um, But she was, I think She was off to London Or somewhere, I wasn't quite sure what was going on With her, I had fallen in love, I had actually Progressed p- past this, you know conflict, Conflicted stage of lover's fate And actually met the man of my dreams And um, was Aww. kind of, you know, pursuing that. Aww. Um Yeah, that's the happy ending to this to this uh, <laughs> um album story. But um yeah, so I just kinda lost touch with her and then a friend called me, I guess it was just I don't know when it when her Saturday Night Live performance was, but whenever that was I got a phone call from our mutual <laughs> friend saying, You're never gonna guess who I just saw on Saturday Night Live and and I just kind of, you know, combed my the archives of all my friends in music, and I just said, well, Lizzie, it has to be Lizzie, right? <laughs> She was mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's Lizzie. So I, I caught it on YouTube. I checked out the video, and I said, sure enough, you know. But I'd always known that she had, you know, su- such incredible talent that it was never a question to me, really, of whether or not she could make it. And the only reason that she was not right. is just, you know, not getting in front of the right people. So. I sort of right. just was like, yep, okay, well, there you go. It happened. But no, to well, so answer your question, I haven't talked to her. Uh
3: talked so much about the song, we'd be remiss not to play it. So here is Alice Bright's guy with Lover's Fate." We'll be right back. With
6: Yay! <laughs>
5: kitten proud him he was charming I was agile and I don't want him back but I do easily broken this thing that we built maybe I wasn't meant to go through this with you and I don't understand how we have done all we could do is more the we care't Inside a woman There is a dark part of us A place that collects all dust door to a room we keep locked out tight Tight, tight There is a switch on the wall Controls the lamp in the hall Wait, turn on the light, 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 and unlock the door. Let ourselves in. Now I am glued to the floor. I am alone and the air I'm breathing is getting thin. Delicate and fragile, He's charming and was agile. Easily broken This thing that we built really I wasn't meant to go through this With you And how does this love translate? How does this love translate? How does this love translate? This love translate into this love and space Love state. A dark part of us A place that collects all dust A door to a room we keep lock down Fragile, he was charming. I was agile, and I don't want him back, but I do. How does this love translate? How does this love translate? How does this love translate into this love
6: affair? Love affair.
5: Delicate and fragile, he was charming, I was agile, and I don't, don't want him back, but I do.
3: And that was Alice Bright Sky with Lover's Faith. Follow her on Twitter, at Alice Brightsky. Sky. Uh, Alice, you're quoted as saying, I've tricked listeners into caring about my trifles by taking them on an emotional journey as I open the box and pout through its content, pour its content. Explain that quote to me in and how you're tricking us.
0: Well, I mean, we all have these boxes, right? You know you do, right? These boxes of pictures and, you know, things that have followed you around from place to place. Um, And this is all prior to, of course, putting all of our images straight into the computer via our iPhones. Um, so maybe you mm. know, depending on the age range of the audience you may or may not identify with this. But um you know for those sorry, of our older folks.
4: Because I'm off the A train, so I understand.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I actually we hear still we still do play ha- well with older women, so it's okay.
0: You <laughs> <laughs> still have these archaic things called photographs and uh yes. Yeah, <laughs> we they're on paper, yeah. Um, so I have this box of just memories. You know, we we have these boxes of memories that, um, I, you know, I used to joke you go around the world and take these pictures on vacation or traveling, and then when do you actually look at them? But for that first weekend that you're back and you're showing your friends and your family, it all kind of goes in an album or in a box and it gets tucked away, really never to be seen again until maybe the time when you're spring cleaning or you're moving and you might, you know, some pictures might fall out, you might pick them up and reminisce. So I just kind of got thinking about that, and I was um, just, you know, writing these songs about, you know, the kind of the stuff that's important to me that was going on in my life. But really if I were to, you know, go out to a bar with some friends and, and talk about this stuff, I, you know, people would tune out. They'd be bored to tears because, you know, and there's only so much that people are really interested in terms of the details of your life and the, and the trifles, meaning not the not the major events necessarily, but the sort of day-to-day struggles that we have. And so by writing a a song and putting it on an album and making that album melodic and um, pleasing to the ear, I say that I've fooled you into caring about my trifles because you're forced to kind of listen to me sing about my life and the things that matter to me. And um, so it's a little bit of a selfish act in that way.
3: Gotcha. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Alice. Uh, I hope uh, we hear from you again, and I'm sure we'll hear from you a lot in the future uh, musically. Thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. And uh, anything anything you want to plug or say before we go?
0: No, I just thank you so much for having me. And um, you've, you've told people about my website and Twitter. Uh, catch up with me. Drop me a line. Take care. All right. Take care.
3: Have a wonderful night. Bye. All right, and that was Alice Bright Sky. Uh, Tamika, time time is flying when we're having fun, huh?
1: Right.
3: <laughs> time time All literally right.
4: is flying because our government is shutting down in three hours. So.
3: Oh boy. Oh no. All right. Uh, well, our next guest's musical focus shifted on December 14th, 2012, when 26 people, including 20 children, were shot and killed at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, uh, Connecticut. His reaction to the tragedy resulted in his song Tears in Vain, proceeds from which go to the Brady campaign to prevent gun violence. Uh, please welcome to the program Jonas uh, Preston. Jonas, how are you, sir?
7: I'm doing well, Ryan. How are you doing?
3: Hello, uh, Jonas. We, uh, we're doing fine over here. You're talking to uh, Blaze and Ryan, the one and only Broadway medic Tamika Kid. Um, Hello, uh, <laughs> Jonas. On. Hey, Joe. <laughs> Who else is over there?
4: Tamika,
3: just the two of us, just yes. T- Tamika, make yourself known.
4: Jonas, I'm the one and only Broadway medic, so I'm talking to you <laughs> as well.
7: Hey, Tamika,
4: how you doing? I, I, I'm, I'm Ryan's co-host, so I'm just here. Very cool,
7: very cool. Pleasure to be here, guys.
3: Thank all you right, very well, much. so let's um, kind of delve into this. We were all. Uh, what, what, horrified by by this event, but what were you doing prior to the uh sandy Hook tragedy? What were you doing life-wise what were you doing musically
7: I was actually uh on vacation which was which was lovely and we were uh, it was actually my birthday the day before and it was my uh, sister in law's birthday that day on december fourteenth so we were i mean having a great time and then my dad flipped on the news and we were and we saw what had happened. And it was just one of those things when you see it, you're like, "Like, oh man, not again!" And it's like just, I don't know. It hit, it hit hard this time. I think for everyone, just because I mean, those kids were so young, and um, it was just such a traumatic, traumatic event.
3: Just to watch it unfold, and just, I mean,
7: yeah, that 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 that's what I was doing.
3: <laughs> okay. And uh, before this musically, were you more, you were less pop and more jazz? Is that right?
7: I mean, yeah, I studied uh, I studied uh, jazz throughout college, and you know, I used to play in different bands, and we traveled around uh, doing uh, jazz festivals in, in, in the States and in Canada. And uh, it was recently that I've been trying to get more into pop music, but, um, I mean, I, it hasn't been as, as seriously um, embraced until now. And, um, yeah, I mean, that was sort of the first main recording that I did was um, Tears in Vain, and especially you know, writing in that in that vein and, and, and getting it out there. and Yeah, it definitely was a catalyst.
3: All right, and we're going to play that in a bit. Uh, as I said, we were all horrified by the event. What made you write a song about it, John?
7: To be honest, I mean, like, uh, I mean, I caught the last bit of what Alice was saying, but I mean, you know, we often write for ourselves, and I typically have written songs that are just, you know, maybe about me. And less outside of myself, and so I don't know. I mean, for me, different songwriters that I've always spoken to, spoken to me, have been uh, you know like guys like Bob Dylan, who is able to write uh, a song and focus on a topic, and and have a have a a voice and a message that carries beyond you know just the music and what you're hearing. It, it sort of it gets people angry, whether they agree with his message or not you know, I, I find those are some of the, the greatest songs that have inspired me. And so when I was writing Tears in Vain, I mean, it wasn't a goal to write something like that, but it organically came that way because, you know, I was just so passionate about how I felt about that incident itself and, and how I feel about um, gun violence, how it needs to change in my opinion. And and you know, people have various opinions on how that, how that should be done and I have my opinion and you know, I'm happy to stick with it. And to me, you know, it wasn't, again, it wasn't contrived to put it in a song to get the message out there, it just sort of unfolded that way because that's who I am, that's what I stand for. And so when I'm writing, you know, it's sometimes hard to write something that you can't really believe in um, or at least make it, you know, something that you want to stand by. I can write, I can write shit, but I want to make sure that I'm <laughs> that I <I'm> enjoying <laughs> what I'm writing and, and that I <laughs> that I honestly, you know, like the direction that it's going. in, And so in in this song, you know, it was kind of effortless, and it was more at at the time it was like therapy. You know, I was just trying to express myself, and it just sort of, you know, snowballed into, like, a really concrete message that I feel compelled to share.
3: And you say this is a song meant to inspire a change for gun reform in America. What do you think of the fact that despite efforts from a number of lawmakers, not much really has been done in almost a year, do you think we're headed for another Sandy Hook or Columbine or Aurora, et
7: cetera? I mean, and that's, like, the terrible thing to bring up because, you know, as, as a pessimistic and more of a realist, you know, there's nothing to prevent it from happening again. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of – I did – there was a part of me that really believed, okay, this happened. Now, like, where, where is the blame going to be put other than, you know, the excess of accessibility? Towards guns and and not just you know handguns or uh, um, <laughs> the word's slipping my mind right now muskets I mean there was a joke mm-hmm. that, that my, one, of my, my, one of my brother was telling me about was like you know like I'm totally everyone's allowed the gun but when you know Second Amendment was written it was it was muskets they were they were writing for muskets and so I remember there was an ad posted about a guy coming into an office with a musket and stuffing his barrel or shooting shooting one bullet and it misses and then he's stuffing the barrel and everyone's running away and it's like sure if that was gun violence i think it'd be easier to to control but when when you know perpetrators are carrying around assault rifles that are used in military you know action that's they're carrying high capacity magazines and they they do damage that doesn't i don't think every civilian has a right to just tilt that around when they when they feel like it like those are powerful weapons you know you know there's there's a reason why people that are trained and, and should have those guns in their hands and have the responsibility to have them in their hands you know, every person shouldn't have that kind of uh freedom i mean i, I again that would be trouncing, i'm I'm trouncing on a lot of people's beliefs, but again, as evidence, I feel that you know looking at you know the dangers that it's caused just in like school like in schools and just recently in the Navy yard in Washington. I mean, again, as you said, it's a matter of time before we see it happen again, and I and I hope that through, you know, this song, and again, I'm I'm happy to, more than happy to to donate to different causes. Um, I, I'd like to actually reach out to other ones because there are like uh, the Sandy Hook Promise, is based right in in uh, Sandy Hook, and you know, but I, you know, they're all working tirelessly to make an effort to change, to make this change in legislation, and I think you know through. More people speaking up. I think that's really the key. When, when you flip on the news I, I, find, I find I I see more people speaking uh, against gun reform and they're they're speaking loudly and proudly for their second amendment rights and less people are speaking about, you know, making those changes. I feel they're not as you know, they're not as dramatic in their in their call to action. So this, you know, is somewhat dramatic and it's more dramatic than other songs that I write and it's a bit of a, a soapbox type of song and I don't normally write like that, but again, in this in this effort and in this situation this is what's come out.
3: So Well it's a great song and I wanna play it now. Uh, this is Jonas Preston with Tears in Vain and we will be right back with Jonas.
2: we we all got someone to lose, you can bet, that we've all heard their names, that we forget, we let them.
3: Jonas pressed in with Tears in vain Um, Jonas there's a uh, A line in your song where it says Make believe we get a second chance Would you see the choice in our hands If you could look into their faces One more time and you knew that you could Save them you change your mind Who are you talking to there I
7: I'm talking to um, I mean an individual that Would like to see change and and the individual that, uh, I mean, just to, to say it blatantly, someone that, you know, is, is stubborn to, to hang on to their guns. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of those people that are stubborn, they, they probably can handle a gun safely and would never, ever even dream to hurt somebody or especially a child. But if they realize that there are people out there that have been doing that and may continue to do that, they realize that, you know, it's, you know, it's best to let go of of mm-hmm. something that something like that and you know, for the betterment of a safer country. And uh yeah, I think that's that would be who I had in mind when I was writing that. In your bio
3: uh, says that line. you juxtapose tender vocals with confrontational content. Was that a, a conscious choice on your part? You know, it was because I remember
7: I remember just as you know, it was like the day after Sandy Hook, and I was still it took me about a day or two to write. But I remember it was like two days later. I was I was seeing different songs that were memorials for for the children and teachers lost at of Sandy Hook, and and I felt I mean again like it was you know everyone had their own emotion. I was glad to see that, but I didn't find it wasn't like like it was very it was it was touching what they wrote, but it wasn't like raw. And I and whatever you know, people that were directly involved and 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 parents that lost their children and like that that what they were feeling had to be just so raw and terrible. It's mm-hmm. like I didn't want to sugarcoat and glaze over something that is awful. Like you know, sometimes I, I mean I have heard that in other songs, not specifically related to Sandy Hook, but just other things, it's kind of glazed over in, in a very sort of light, friendly way. And even though the music itself it's 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 very pop, it's accessible to you know the radio and and to you know I I would think like you know a large uh, listening audience is not it's not progressive musically let's say, but I wanted to keep that element where the words uh, you know are meant to squeeze you a little bit, maybe even make you uncomfortable. I, I didn't mm-hmm. you know I didn't want to, I didn't want to gloss over what you know I was writing
3: about cuz you know it's a right. glossy subject sure um and uh, right I'm sure this will change but right now it is not the easiest song to find to purchase uh where do people go to buy this song
7: um you can find it on uh on my uh website at uh, jonaspreston.com j o n u s i like to spell my name differently <laughs> but um, also on the Facebook fan page, uh, Jonas Preston. Um, it, it was on iTunes uh, very briefly, but um, I wasn't able to set up any kind of uh, uh, direct link to the Brady campaign through iTunes. They don't, they don't really offer that, unfortunately, yet. And um, so it's, it's partnered with a company called Dimpole, which they sort of act as a middleman, and it's totally safe and legit. And so what happens is that you go onto the website, which is, should be going live. It's just completely done a makeover just uh, this past mm-hmm. few weeks, and so it's going to be relaunched, um, I think tonight. But also on Facebook, you find that you can you can donate a certain amount, let's say from one to I think twenty dollars. And when you donate, you know, let's say one dollar, you receive the song, and you also receive a uh, you know a five dollar gift card that that um, raises exponentially the more you donate. Um, to uh, Hurley, which is a surf company, a lot of people know of. But so, anyways, it's a it's a great uh, company that pairs it off, so that all the proceeds uh, go directly to the Brady campaign, and um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see that see that be the case. But so, again, Jonas on Facebook and JonasPresson.com.
3: All right, uh, and Tamika, I hear you chomping at the bit over there. You got a question for Jonas?
4: Well, uh. The inspiration obviously is uh indicative of the song, but your other music, what is your main source for that?
7: My main source, oh I mean for, for me it's it's stretched as uh, I think my so my first love on guitar was uh Jimi Hendrix. And so I remember sitting, okay. you know, many hours just, just learning guitar solos and, and you know, I do play a lot of uh the blues and um and I uh, wanted to find a way to incorporate, um, uh, you know, a little bit more of my guitar prowess into my mu- in music. I have another song that should be coming out, another single in the next month um, or maybe two months, likely by the end of the year. It will be. Uh, it's a song called Heaven to Hell, and um, mm-hmm. it's uh, we recorded that at Avatar Studios um, up in Midtown, which is a great, great one of the last you know, really large production studios and so we had a great team working on that and uh really excited to let let that let that one go. It's very uh it's a little edgier rock and got a big gospel influence. Um so uh you know completely different topic lyrically but um you know that's another one to, to expect.
4: Well yeah, I mean we enjoy your music so that's why I wanted to find out what other sources you're using as uh, music wise. Yes,
7: yeah, well I mean Thank you for <laughs> for listening. I appreciate it.
3: Your bio, Jonah, says that uh, you do hip hop. Do you rap
7: at all? <laughs> you no, know, um, I uh, have done a little bit of uh, production actually with with a few friends that uh, that write that spit rhymes, and uh, <laughs> I sometimes Hello. get on the <laughs> microphone to. Uh, I'm not much of a, like a free flow rapper. I've always kind of been envious of uh, rappers that can just like. Spit out their ideas right on the spot. That always kind of freaks me out. I can just sit and write to a beat, and then you know, and then find the rhythm to it and the, the delivery. Um, I haven't, have never released anything. It's just been sort of my own little fun. Uh, you know, I like to dabble in, in different genres, and I played in a number of different styles of bands, guitar player and singer. So um, hip hop is definitely one that that I that I like in in expressing myself because again lyrically, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, potential for like some serious messages. And, you know, it's glad to see someone like, um, I mean, recently like Macklemore, who has a lot of, uh, I mean, a lot of depth, not taking anything away from other other big name rappers, but, you know, he's always one that has stuck out to me as um, he writes about like a a variety of topics that he cares about and he's able to bring them to the forefront. Um, So it's, it's great to see an artist like that doing something successfully.
3: You said that you, uh, have um, a <clears throat> background in a, a number of different types of music. At some point, your artistic priority became European Gypsy Jazz. Now, how does yeah. European Gypsy Jazz become someone's artistic priority?
7: That sounds cool. That sounds uh, cool. In, it, it, it was. It was. It, I was in high school, and uh, the band was called the String Bustin' Cats, and uh, we were, uh, you know, two two acoustic guitars, one violin and one upright bass, and we were playing music that was generally played in the 1930s and then it's, it completely died out after World War II, and then there was a resurgence in the 90s, but this, there was no 16-year-olds playing this type of music, so we had a good time putting together um, this band and, and, you know, we had a... it was amazing because we'd sell CDs back when CDs were made and sold and... Uh, <laughs> We had a ton of uh, it, was, it, it. Definitely was marketed to the older audience, and they we sold a lot of CDs. We were like, "Wow, we're cleaning up. We're like in grade eleven, and we're making all this money from this, you know, just playing these old songs." And so we had a good time. learning that, it was, it's complicated stuff. It's very, uh, I don't know, it was very rhythmic. It's the type of thing you you imagine hearing in like. Uh, some French cafe like it's just sipping with like, uh, cappuccino or whatever and so uh but that was that was the genre that it was just the guys that I was, you know grew up with that we all played instruments and, and we decided to put this together so it it, can, it it turned into a life of its own. So that was wow. the uh, uh, and and Jonah, and you're...
3: I'm sorry,
7: go ahead. No no I was just gonna say, you know that that sort of that's how I got into it. <laughs>
3: Gotcha. Uh, your bio, uh, you, you mentioned Hendricks, and your bio also says that when you were a kid, you devoured the music of Bob Dylan, Jimi Hendrix, Django, Reinhardt, Jeff Buckley, Led Zeppelin, John Mayer, Clapton, Coldplay, and the Beatles. Now, why is John Mayer on that list, and can we take him off tonight? <laughs> you
7: know, my, uh, my, my favorite John Mayer uh, release is... Um, the the try album I don't know how you feel about that but I found he he hired
3: the best the trio, backing band the trio. the trio with,
7: with Pino Paladino and Steve Jordan um mm-hmm. his his back backup band was one of the the most badass rhythm sections I mean like mm-hmm. ever just the, they, they were I don't know to me he was just you know that was a smart move and it was nice to see I think it was one of his least uh, successful albums that he put out and you know, it's nice to hear him do something that was to his own blues roots and his own, um, you know, admiration for you know guitar heroes like like Jimi Hendrix and Stevie Ray Vaughan and and uh, Eric Clapton. That you know, you could hear his, you could hear him being influenced by that. And you know, you <laughs> see in the audience, you know, screaming fans, and that you know, it really, he's the only artist that has you know made it huge in the spotlight and then and then brought in influence of you know blues and rock and and that live improvisation that you know he can do he can play the guitar he can play circles around a lot of guitar players but um you know, it was nice to see him do that kind of thing and you know I, I i admire him for 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 bringing that to his you know his live performance and some of his recordings and i think he opened up the genre to an audience that wasn't necessarily totally exposed to it but i mean again it is hard to throw him in that list as an equal to the old greats but
3: yeah <laughs> i don't even know what coldplay is doing in there but uh, john mayer i can you know clearly he's a john mayer is clearly not a, a guitar virtuoso um it's just too bad the music sucks uh but you know, <laughs> what you mentioned earlier there was uh you said that you know it's hard to write about something that you're not really feeling you you know you don't want to just write and it turns out, shit. And that reminded me of this, uh, you know, Tamika, I don't know if you know or not, but when I used to live in Los Angeles, I, uh, I recorded a rap demo. Did you know this? No, I did not know this, sir. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, what I did was uh, I met no, up I'm with waiting. the um, producer, um, my friend Tyrone Michaels, and yeah. he, uh, he said, all right, so, Rye, what you want to do, you want to write like, one, like, love song, one party song, and one whatever you want. And so I was like, all right, party song,
6: <laughs> party song.
3: And so what I did was I wrote this party song, and we recorded it. And I don't remember how the verses went, but they were not good. And I was very off rhythm when I was rapping them. But I remember the chorus uh, was like, bubbly's popping in the club, is rocking in the beat, is dropping as I get my mackin' on. So the chorus was decent, but the verses were, were terrible. Um, and then, you know, I have not heard of this song in about uh, seven years now or so. And uh, I was at the MTV VMA after party with the girl that I was in love with in high school and her little brother. And her little brother, like at one point she was like, oh, he really likes that song of yours. And I was like, what are you talking about? What's, I haven't recorded a song of years." And then Steve, her brother, her little brother comes up to me and goes, Bubbly is popping in the club, is rocking in the beat, is dropping as I get my mackin' on. And that was a wonderful moment for me.
7: (laughs) That's amazing. I have have a similar story where, again, I wrote, um, it was was a party song. And the chorus Mm -hmm. was party in the basement, sex on the pavement. And it ended with, um, all I want to do is you. And <laughs> It was one of those funny That sounds like something from he, the
4: valley I'm sorry, I just, that sounds he, like something from, from
7: he, San Fernando Valley That's all I'm saying uh, uh, Sure, uh, porn it, capital,
4: The porn capital of the world So go ahead oh, well,
7: I, What was funny is that I, I remember a friend of mine Had uh, um, shown the record It was his, her little sister I think had grabbed it And it was around high school And like there was a Oh, like a whole bunch of these high school kids that were just playing this one song. <laughs> party on the basement <laughs> sex on the pavement. And and again, something about those They were all <laughs> into it. I was like, "Hey, man, that should that should be the one right there."
3: <laughs>
2: That's the best. That's the best.
3: <laughs> what is it? Party in the basement sex on the pavement? What is it? <laughs> yeah, party party on
7: the base, party in the basement, sex on the pavement.
3: I mean, because when you're a teenager,
7: I mean, you don't necessarily have your own private space, so... <laughs> I, I
3: can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, the the single, uh, go support this song and this guy, Jonas Preston, it's called Tears in Vain, and you can get it starting, we think, tonight at JonasPreston.com as well as if you go on his Facebook fan page and give it a like at Jonas. Preston. Uh, Jonas, it has been a pleasure. Keep in touch. We'll talk to you soon. Hi, Jonas. Thanks so
7: much, Ryan. Thanks, Tamika. It was great talking with you guys.
3: Thank you, too, sir. Take care. Have a good night. You too. All right. And now, Tamika, we're going to launch a brand new segment tonight. And Uh you know what it is on Twitter today? It's Musical Monday. So what we're going to do is the Music News with David Bowers. Are you ready, Tamika, for this? I guess so. All right, here we go, and it is a blazing rye, first time, here we go.
1: (laughs) David Bowers, how are you, sir? Good evening, New York, I am just fine, and how are you?
3: We are doing just fine. Tamika, isn't that voice just like uh, ch- chocolate? It's,
4: it, it's very sexy, so I like <laughs> it already.
3: Uh, that I, I, I gotta I, say, it.
4: I gotta, I gotta say, I honestly really like it, so that's okay. Hello, David. I'm Tamika. Hello.
1: Hello, rye, you finally got you finally got a guest I can relate to.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly.
3: All right. Here so we it is. Here we go. Music. Music Mondays, and I'm not talking about musical Mondays at Splash because that shit got shut down. I'm talking about music Mondays is trending all day today every Monday on Twitter. David Bower's what is going on in the music world? I've got news for you <laughs> and, uh, since
1: we're all sick of Miley Cyrus. I thought I'd start with something about Miley Cyrus and Jordan <laughs> Mill-
6: <laughs>
1: Gregory Miller wrote in the New York post someone at m t v deserves a serious raise for foreseeing the distant gold in the reinvention of Miley Cyrus. You know, that girl who kind of shocked everybody uh, here a little while ago with the foam figure and teddy bears and a whole bunch of sex and instantly yeah. infamous performance at the VMAs.
6: That well, the
1: yeah. <laughs> Well, for its one-hour documentary, Miley the Movement, MTV followed her for about four months. And the movement, of course, is what she calls her... Transformation from a wholesome Disney Entertainer to a 20 year old Doing whatever the hell she wants People always want to call it a a Transition She says it's not It's not wait till I get to the punchline. She says it's not A transition It's not a transition it's a movement It's a growth it's a change self advertising Aside there's no debating that This is some Miley Cyrus we've Never seen before you can watch that performance, she says, and think of it as a hot mess, but <laughs> it's, it's a strategic hot mess. Okay, now that's that's a differentiation there. It says strategic okay. hot mess.
6: Okay. Okay. Now <laughs> uh, according
1: according to Chris Melanthy, who's a feature writer and critic currently contributing to NPR's The Record blog, he says, Wrecking Ball, her first hot one hundred single, because we can't stop peaked at number two. This one leaped to number one in a single week largely because of its video. And it's important to understand how this is determined. Since February, Billboard has included the Hot 100 formula of all streams of music videos on YouTube and Vivo. Now, this uh, proved pivotal to Wrecking Ball, of course, because of the nudity and sledgehammers clip that's racked up millions of viewings. Vivo reported (laughs) on it. First day, the ball drew 19.3 million views worldwide, which previous one-day record holder, a clip from One Direction, by a massive seven million views. Now, Billboard hey,
4: don't, knock. Only... don't knock One Direction. I gotta tell
1: oh, you. Oh, <laughs> I'm not putting. I'm not putting the knock on anybody. Billboard counts only this. This time, I'm not. Billboard only counts <laughs> U.S. <plus laughs> views, but even with that limitation. The weekly numbers for Wrecking Ball were staggering, 36.5 million views in the U.S. alone during its first week. The video wow. viewing total was more than enough to send Wrecking Ball to the top of the mid-September Hot 100, over two-week champ roar by Katy Perry, and Wrecking Ball is still there a week later. Thus, it's the most obvious beneficiary of Billboard's new YouTube rule since Harlem Shake a song whose popularity was Hi. so ephemeral that it led New York Times magazine to question whether the song was actually popular at all now it's worth yeah, ask the, it. it's worth asking it the same question about cyrus's new chart topper if it reached the penthouse largely due to its racy video can we actually call it the biggest song in the usa doesn't her move to the top of the chart reflect more about our collective prurience than our love of the song, and isn't service using a chart technicality to give herself a number one hit? Well, the short answer to the last question, actually to all the questions, is yes. But on a chart with a history of one-off, faddish, but surprisingly enduring number one hits, Wrecking Ball is part of a long tradition. The Hot 100 formula essentially comprises three major ingredients, radio airplay, song sales, and song streams. Now by and Billboard counts streams less than sales airplay, play, because watching a video once on YouTube or playing it on Spotify is not quite the equivalent of paying a buck twenty nine for the song on iTunes, and Billboard's formula rightly reflects that. In a normal week, a top selling song generally sells somewhere between two hundred thousand and four hundred thousand copies, while a smash might be watched a few million times. However, if tens of millions of people watch one video in the same week, Even if billboard counts each view less than sales of radio or airplay, that youtube field song is going to dominate the Hot 100 no matter what. So the ability of one mega-popular video to command the Hot 100 is a concern to longtime watchers. Legacy is a funny thing in popular music. And my (laughs) – there it is. My teleprompter just moved. I'm nothing without my Obamaism there. Legacy is a (laughs) funny thing in popular music. In nineteen ninety two, for example, the most acclaimed hip hop song of the year was Arrested Developments Tennessee. That reached the hot one hundreds top five, topped the R and B chart, both single and album topped the Village Voices, Paz and Jop, Critics Poll, and A D took home the best new artist Grammy. It seemed like a rare agreement among the public, the industry and the critics that year that the year in pop would be defined years hence by speeches, cathartic, conscious lyrics, and Dion Ferris' soaring high note. But 21 years later, there's no question what hip-hop song defines 1992, Sir Mix-A-Lot's hilarious Baby Cat Back. It spent yeah. five weeks at the number yeah. one on the Hot 100, and was viewed even then as a flash in the pan, but no pop song from 1992 has cast a longer shadow. So what exactly does Wrecking Ball have in common with Baby Got Back? Well, for the moment, only a not-safe-for-work body parts fixated video and the number one charting from Billboard, of course. Uh, Whether Wrecking Ball is remembered as fondly as Sir Mix's moment of glory will take at least a few months to sort out. But for now, like it or not, Miley's YouTube flash a flesh fantasia, has to be regarded as an actual honest-to-goodness hit. You can read that whole article in the New York Post. The question next is, will there be anything new and shocking on Alice Cooper's upcoming fall tour? Mm -hmm. Well, if you consider twerking to be shocking, the answer is no. What you can expect, though, is a high-energy show featuring 28 songs and one of the best damn bands in rock. Tyson from iHeartRadio 98.7 Gator Rocks in West Palm Beach, Florida, caught up with Cooper uh, and talked to him about his tour, upcoming covers album, which is due out in the spring, and several other subjects. And when you have a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer on the phone, you just got to ask him who his three nominees would be for the upcoming class, especially (laughs) since in just a couple of weeks the nominating committee is going to start working on the list for 2014. (laughs) If Alice Cooper was on the committee, he says he would nominate. Drum roll, please. You got a drum roll handy there, (laughs) right? If
2: Alice
1: Cooper Cooper was on the nominating committee, he says he would nominate the Moody Blues, Kiss, and Deep Purple. He also mentioned Burt Baccarat. And you can catch that whole interview online at us97.com. Which brings me to my personal self-engraising plug and self-promotion. Don't (laughs) miss another rock icon, Tommy James, who will be on the phone with me, as you've never heard him before, talking candidly about the subject of his autobiographical Me, the Mob, and Music, about how he wound up working with the New York City Mob, as well as, of course, talking about his music and a new take on one of his old favorites, Plus, we pull a surprise on him. Also, we're going to have VH1 Hollywood X's-themed songstress Erica Kane and a new rock band from upstate New York, Court E, along with Dan Kohler of Tier 1 Talent in Albany, who holds class in Rockstar 101, and maybe a few other surprises, too. We can't tell everything ahead of time, but that's all on my next the david bowers awards sunday october 13th on Block talk radio you can follow the david bowers on facebook twitter and Block talk radio for more details back
3: to you ryan oh thank you so much david i was going to ask you to plug your show but but you've already done it uh so i was to get fine. that in while i could he did the, the shit out,
4: out of it that
3: was awesome <laughs> <laughs> yes he did what what time will your uh, next David Bowers Award be that Sunday? Is it 2 o'clock? That's 2 o'clock Eastern, uh, 11
1: a.m. Pacific. And for our folks uh, followers in Europe, uh, that's 7 p.m. GMT.
3: Okay, wonderful. Uh, well, this uh, has been a lovely new segment, Music Mondays with the David Bowers. Uh, David, I can't thank you enough for doing it on such short notice, and I hope to make this a weekly thing. Um, so we'll be in contact, sir. And uh, let's. Uh, le- well, we can pray, sign off for the I pr- night.
4: I, you know what, Ryan? I pray that is a weekly thing because that man's <laughs> voice is sexy as hell. I just got to say it. Coming from a radio family, that was awesome.
1: I think uh, I'm falling in lust. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we,
4: we, both, we both we both are at this point. Oh uh, yes. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm so all of a sudden I'm Chuck Woolery over here. <laughs>
4: I don't I'm not well, white. I don't look like Vanna. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, but uh, I'll tell you what I'll do to somebody looks like Vanna. No, no. Oh you <laughs> calm down, the government's
3: about to shut down.
4: Right. <laughs> the government. Uh we got like three hours
6: left.
3: All right. Um, okay. So now. we'll be we'll see you next week on Blazing and Rye, and the uh, the lineup is we have singer uh, Gabriela Pepino and um, uh, hip hop artist Nikhil Corula. So please tune in next week, 8 p.m. Make sure you tune into and Rye backstage Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, but David Bowers thank you so much. So I can think of no better way of ending the show than by saying, if it ain't showbiz it ain't a biz, hit the brakes, Florence, and if you have a Barbie doll, what are you going to do to that Barbie doll, Tamika?
4: Bend that bitch backwards, burn off her hair, chop it off, and then leave her for your mother, distressed, to find it, and then you turn out to actually being
3: a halfway successful person. <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. We're going to leave you with Alice Bright Sky. We're gonna leave you with her song "Pry Me Away." Thanks, big thank you to Alice, big, yes. big thank you to Jonas, big thank you to the yes. David Bowers and the Tamika Kid. Good night, everybody. Here we go. Mm.
6: Mm.